right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha Special Edition, Special Eve of Bar Mitzvah Edition, Erev Bar Mitzvah Edition. Friday, October 22nd, 2021, Torah portion is Vayera. Today, we're going to be studying, listen to this, we're going to be doing the seventh reading of the Torah portion and an absolutely spectacular Haftorah. This is one of those that is just magical. So trust me, you're in for a treat today. Let's do two really incredible stories that we have um, to enjoy today and to explore and to you know get, get involved in some deeper themes. But first, the Torah reading. I said this yesterday or the day before that this week's Torah portion, Vayera, is so filled with stories and like big, big, big episodes, like big events. We're talking about like the angels and the destruction of Sodom and the birth of Isaac. I mean, like just all things that could fill a full Torah portion individually. And here it's just like one after the other after the other. And it ends, the Torah portion does, with the story of the binding of Isaac. This is the 10th and final test of Abraham, a test of faith. God says, as we'll see to Abraham, take your child, your beloved child, the only one from Sarah, your, your child Isaac, and bring him up as an offering. And Abraham unflinchingly says yes. And he does it until he's told, you brought him up as an offering. I didn't say to actually slaughter him. I said, bring him up as an offering. You brought him up, take him down. Test of faith. We're going to explore in depth what the, te- what the test was, what God was thinking, what Abraham was thinking. We're going to explore this as we go through the reading. But let's read the narrative. By the way, you should know. This is a narrative. The Haftorah is a narrative about the prophet Elisha. So we have some great storytelling today, some really foundational stories. So let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen and let's get cooking. Seventh reading, Torah portions Vayera. Let's begin. Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass, Vayihi Achare Hadvar Mele, came to pass after these things. All the narratives that we already read, after all of those Tests of faith and Abraham's mission. Oh, yeah. After this, what happened? It's God tested Abraham. The 10th and final test. This is considered to be the test of all tests. He was tested before, right? Will you listen to me? Will you follow me blindly into a land unknown? Will you believe in me after there's a famine? How will you um, respond to your wife's abduction? So many tests God gave Abraham to see if he was really legit. But this one, this is the, the test with a capital T. Well, two capital T's. The, the test. The one that surpasses them all. So God tested Abraham and he said to him, by the way, God tests Abraham, Avram, even after he passed all those other tests. Which reminds us that sometimes we think the tests are over. We don't understand God's ways and there might be another test around the corner. We don't ask for a test, but we always need to expect one. And he said to him, God said to him, Abraham, Avram. And Avram answered, Hineni, here I am. One word in, e- in Hebrew, three words in English, Hineni. Here I am. Here I am means I'm present. I'm here, my entire being. This is a very important, we've talked about this before in other contexts. You know, we're, we're so distracted in life. When people ask for attention, we're distracted. We're thinking this, that, or the other. Because physical beings are limited with their attention and physically just limited. Mentally, emotionally, practically. 
But Abraham was present. Hineni, here I am. My whole being is here with you, Hashem. And God said to him, please take your son. Which one? I have two. Your only son from Sarah. The one whom you love. Yes, Yitzchak, Isaac. And go away to the land of Moriah. And bring him, by the way, the land of Moriah, that is where the temple would be built. And bring him up there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Bring your son up there for a burnt offering. Notice God doesn't say to actually slaughter him. He's bring him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. Once again, God is not telling him the destination. I'll let you know when you get there. So what happens? What happens? And Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took himself. Because it was a mitzvah. Remember we talked about Heksher mitzvah, the preparation for a mitzvah is also holy? Remember we spoke about that? Building the sukkah, even though the mitzvah is the sukkah, but it's building, yeah. So saddling his donkey, Abraham did himself. Why? Because this was following God's, God told him to go. Every step of the way was part of it. He wanted to be involved. He saddled his own donkey and he took his two young men with him. And of course, Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering. Hey, you can't have fire without wood. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He went toward that destination. I need to, to mention something. I've been asked this question many, many times, especially in this week's Torah portion. God tells Abraham about Sodom's destruction. And what does Abraham do? He defends. He advocates. He negotiates. God says, bring your son up as an offering. Sure, no problem. What about Abraham advocating, saying, wait a second, maybe you should rethink. What kind of business is this? How come Abraham doesn't advocate for his own son when he advocates for Sodom? The answer is simple. Because Sodom was a punishment. This is not a punishment. It's an elevation. God tells Abraham, I'm going to punish Sodom. And Abraham says, hold on. Are you sure? Are there righteous people there? Because it was a punishment. God, this is not a punishment. God is saying this is the ultimate elevation. Well, you're going to argue with an elevation? It's an elevation. I'm saying that quickly, but I hope that makes sense. Again, a lot of people have asked me that question over the years. right? How come Abraham doesn't, doesn't push back? Because it wasn't a punishment. If God is saying, I'm going to punish, Abraham says, are you sure? But if God says, here's an elevation opportunity, okay. So they headed that direction. On the third day, it wasn't a quick journey. The third day of the journey, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. He saw that mountain. And Abraham said to his young men, the two men with him, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder on foot and we will prostrate ourselves and return to you. You guys stay here. We're going to climb the mountain. They got to the mountain, the foot of the mountain. Abraham said to the, to the assistants, to the people that were with him, helping him, whatever. You guys stay here with the donkey. Me and my son, we're going to walk up together. Next. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. And he placed it upon his son Isaac, and he took it into his hand. Sorry, and he took into his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went together. So they took all the supplies, and they walked up the mountain. Who held the wood? Isaac. Isaac carried up the wood for his own burnt offering. I mean, it didn't happen, but conceptually. And Isaac, by the way, how old was Isaac here? How old was Isaac? 36 or 37. 30, yes, 37 years old. Isaac is not the 5-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old kid that's sometimes depicted in art. 
Isaac is not a child. He's the son of Abraham. He's not a child. He's a mature adult. He knows what's going on. Does he know what's going on? All right, maybe. We'll see soon. There's an interesting dialogue over here. Let's continue. And Isaac spoke to, his, to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. And once again, Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Hineni, bini. That's powerful. Right? Do we turn to our children and say, Here I am? Or do we say, One second, I'm on a call. Or one second, I'm doing something. Or one second, I'll get back to you. Or one second, one second, one second. Yeah? Again, not pointing fingers. We're all, we're all guilty uh, together with this, right? Hineni, your child asks for your attention. Child says, Dad, Hineni, I'm here. I'm present. I'm, I'm with you. It's beautiful, beautiful parenting message. Hineni vini, here I am, my son. And the son Isaac said, here is the fire and the wood. We're going up the mountain with the stuff. But, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Right? They're walking up the mountain. The fire, sorry, the, the wood, the, where's the animal? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. In other words, God, God will provide. God will give us that, uh, that burnt off, the, the lamb for the burnt offering. Which, by the way, is prophetic because ultimately that's what happens. And they both went together again up the mountain, even though at that point Isaac according to the commentaries, realized what was going on, that he might be the burnt offering. Nonetheless, he consented and they both went together. And they came to the place, that's what it means, together, they had the same conviction. And they came to the place of which God had spoken to him, top of the mountain, and Abram built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he, bound, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he placed him on the altar upon the wood. This was not a forced kidnapping. He was 37. He was probably stronger than his father, which at that point was... 137, right? Are you with me? He was 100 when he had him. Isaac's 37. Abraham is 137. You would think. Yeah, Isaac would say, sorry, dad, gotta go, and he would run, and that would be it. He doesn't. He doesn't. He consents to this. This is as much Abraham's test as it is Isaac's test. And he's placed, he places him, father places his son on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. That was the intention. That's what he believed God wanted. Immediately an angel of God called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, you know what he says? Hineni, here I am. He didn't say, one second, angel. Let me just take care of this and I'll get back to you. No, no, that would have been terrible, right? I'm in the middle of slaughtering my son. Let me get, I don't want to make light of it, but Hineni, here I am. And the angel said, representing, uh, carrying a message from God Almighty, do not stretch forth your hand to the lad, nor do the slightest thing to him. Nothing. Don't touch him. Don't even, make a, 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 don't even make a nick to draw blood. For now I know that you are a God-fearing man. Now I know that you are a God-fearing man. And you did not withhold your son, your only one, from me. I need to tell you what this means. Now I know that you're a God-fearing man. Until now, I didn't know that you were God-fearing. I knew that you were God-loving, but I didn't know you were God-fearing. I, I knew you loved God. I know you loved me, says God, but I didn't know you could serve me with the idea of yira, which is discipline. Chesed and gvura. 
you are Mr. Hospitality and Mr. Teacher and Mr. Charismatic and Mr. Monotheism. That I know. I know that. But can you do something that looks like it might, like it might be tough to someone else for my sake? You were ready to do that. Now I know that you serve me not just from your comfort zone of chesed, but even from that space of gevura, which is the theme that we spoke about Wednesday night. And last night in our classes, really this theme combines our Wednesday night and Thursday night classes together. Wednesday night, the idea of chesed versus gevura, and Thursday night, the idea of getting out of your comfort zone and serving God or others with the other modality that is anti your personality that shows true dedication and devotion. God says to Rabbi, Abraham, yes. Um, doesn't, um, doesn't Isaac say to his father to bind him even tighter so he, he was concerned for... There might be. There might be also Midrash. I don't remember that, but I mean, it rings a bell. I can't tell you for sure, but it rings a bell that Isaac was participating in, in, in his own binding, the binding yeah. of Isaac. By the way, that, the, the word Akeda, Akeda Yitzchak, means the binding of Isaac. Remember, nothing happened to him. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not downplaying it, but I'm just saying, nothing, he wasn't harmed. What happened was he was bound up as an offering, the binding of Isaac. Okay, by the way, you should know this one thing. Abraham had been preaching monotheism for years, for decades. Abraham had been preaching one God, not pagan gods. These pagan gods, they loved human worship. And Abraham said, no, 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 no. God is, is merciful. God is kind. God does not want human sacrifices. Guess what would have happened when the word would have got out that Abraham sacrificed his son to his God? They would have said, Abraham, you're just like us. You've been, all these years, you've been hacking a Chinese community. Blah, blah, blah. I'm more, more, morally superior to you guys. Seriously, it's the same stuff. Abraham would have undone his entire life's work. He was willing to do it because God told him to. That's what it means. Now I know that you're a God-fearing man. I know that you're ready to give up everything you worked for, for what I'm telling you to do. That's, that's the highest level of a test. And you did, oh yeah, we finished that, that sentence. Let's continue verse 13. And Abraham, hey Olya, welcome. It's good to have you here. All right. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw, and lo, there was a ram. And miraculously, a ram appears. And after that, it was caught in, the tree, in a tree by its horns or in a bush by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So an animal miraculously appears. It gets stuck, easy to capture. And uh, Abraham offers it up as an offering instead. By the way, this is why we use a ram's horn for the shofar. Right? Because of this. We remind Hashem of Abraham's dedication. Remember how dedicated our forefather, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham was? He was ready to sacrifice his own son, and instead he ended up sacrificing the ram? Well, we don't mean to toot our own horn, but then we do. We actually do toot the horn of the ram to remind Hashem of the Akedah. And Abraham named that place... The Lord will see. That's a very interesting name to name a place, but that's what he named it. He named that place Hashem Yireh. Hashem, will, God will see. As it is set up to this day on that mountain, the Lord will be seen. To this day, that's the holy mountain. That's the temple mount. So yeah, it's, the Lord is seen on that mountain. You know, for all time, it's the holy space. And an angel of, of the Lord called to Abram a second time. Second call of the angel. The angel calls from heaven. And the angel said, be, oh, sorry, by myself I have sworn 
says the Lord, that because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, you're only one. Because you have passed this test, God says through the angel, that I will surely bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as a sand that is on the seashore. And your descendants will inherit the cities of their enemies. So I need to tell you, we had before the dust of the earth and the stars of the heaven. Remember, God tells, God blesses Abraham. He tells him, your children will be as many as the stars and the dust. Here we have two more mentions, stars again. This time, not dust, but sand on the seashore. We're getting exotic. This is a beach, a beach uh, side um, blessing. All right, stars and sand. Well, that's us. We're part of the, the yeah. legacy. Oh, right? oh, yeah, this is us. Yeah. You, yeah, you and I, we're, the, we're these grains of sand right here and the stars. And your descendant will inherit. You know they have these commercials on the radio. You can buy a star, have a star named after you. I don't know who's actually mm -hmm. registering these stars. But anyway, who needs it? We already got the stars. Like You need it named after you, right? You are a star. All right. And your descendants will inherit the cities of their enemies. And through your children, sorry, and through your children, yeah, yeah, I said this right, and through your children shall be blessed all the nations of the world because you hearken to my voice. God says, it's through your children that everyone on earth will be blessed. Why? All because you hearken to my voice and were willing to bring up your son as an offering. And Abraham returned to his young men, in other words, the two people that remained at the, at the foot of the mountain, and all together, all four of them, they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham remained in Beersheba. All right, and it came to pass after these matters. That's the end. That's the end of the story. A few more verses and then Haftorah. And it came to pass after these matters, after the story of the binding of Isaac, that I was told to Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she also bore sons to Nachar, your brother. Remember, Abraham had three brothers. Sorry, let me try that again. There were three siblings. Abraham had two brothers. One died, and his son was Lot. And then there was another one whose name was Nachar. So Abraham was told, Milcah, the wife of your, of your uh, brother, in other words, your sister-in-law, had kids. Yeah. Uz, his firstborn, and Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Kesed, and Chazo, and Pildash, and Yidlov, and Besuel. Bethuel. I'm going to say Besuel. And Besuel gave birth, begot Rebekah, Rivka. Ooh, spoiler alert. Here we go, here we go, little name drop. Rebecca appears on the scene for the first time. This is it. This is why we're getting all this family tree. Like why do we need to know about this other side of the family? Boom, Rebecca. That's what we need to know. Rebecca is gonna be Isaac's cousin. And they're gonna get, ooh, they may or may not get married. They do get married, as we'll see next week. Yeah. But here's the point. Besuel has Rivka. So again, what's the, what's the, um, the family tree? Abraham's brother, Nachar, gives birth to Besuel, who gives birth to Rebekah. So it's like a, a great niece. Yeah, a great niece, maybe. I don't know. Whatever the family tree is, it's not his. It's his brother's granddaughter. So whatever that is. Anyway, these eight did Milka bear to Nachar, Abraham's brother. Right? These eight. Yeah, that's the, these were the eight children. And again, Besuel's child was Rebekah. That's the next generation. It's the grandchild. And his concubine, whose name was Ru'uma, had also given birth to Tevach and Gacham and Tachash and Macha. Again, we get a nice family tree on the other side of Abraham's siblings and their children and grandchildren. 
their wife, their, his wife, and the concubine. We get the whole, all, all the family, I don't know, drama, not drama, I don't know if it's drama or not, whatever, the whole family tree, we got this covered. Okay, great. So, but again, the main thing here is Rebecca. Rebecca is born to this other side of the family, and as our sages tell us, she was a tzaddik, a tzaddikus. She was a righteous, a righteous person, a righteous soul, a very special soul, born amidst that other side of the family that wasn't so holy and kosher. She's like a Shoshana. She's like a rose that, that, that emerges between the thorns. The others are a little thorny, but she is a rose. And it took a lot of effort to go and find and, and collect that rose and, uh, and bring her to, to marry Isaac, ultimately. That's the, the next generation. Isaac, the son that we just read about with the, uh, the binding of Isaac, right? He's going to marry Rebecca right here. That ends the Torah portion. The message for us, a, a quick... Uh, a quick takeaway from this reading, number one, dedication to God. Number two, Haksher Mitzvah, doing the mitzvah, preparing for the mitzvah yourself, waking up early in the morning to do a mitzvah, not pushing it off till later. The idea of serving God with not in your comfort zone, going out of your comfort zone to do what Hashem wants, even though it's not your nature. It's like, well, you know, this mitzvah is what I like. That mitzvah is not, not, it's not my style. Do it anyway. Why? Do it for God. That's the test. That's Abraham. Abraham is not a style to bring up his son as an offering. All right, but he was, he was willing to do it. And that's a great credit to him. Obviously, it didn't happen. And the message is, but a lot of people are horrified by this. A lot of people are, oh my gosh, binding of Isaac, it's a big deal. This dad was ready to, to kill his son. And that's the foundation of Judaism. The foundation of Judaism is the fact, the willingness that he was willing to do something that he didn't understand, number one. And number two, the message, the ultimate message. God says, don't sacrifice the child. That's the message of the act. was willing to trust. Correct. But even in the outcome, the outcome also has a lesson for us. And that is that human sacrifice, child sacrifice is not desired by God. In other words, why are we so offended? Like, oh my, that's crazy. Where does that come from? The story. This story is what creates the morality. I, I hope I'm making sense. The whole world did this. The whole world at that point was doing this. Why for us is it so horrific? We just randomly evolved like that magically? No, this is the origin story. God says, no, this is traif. This is not kosher. This, is not, this should not be done. And so ever since, we've been like, well, this is wrong. How do we know it's wrong? Because of this story. So you want to use the story as, how dare Abraham? That's where you learn it from. I hope that makes sense. But you didn't do it, Abraham, at the last minute. Correct. Why? Because the angel says, do not do this. That's where we learn that this should not be done. That's what my point is. So why is it that our moral sense, that why are we so, what, you know, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, you're learning it from this story. The story, the outcome of the story is, it's not to be done. Anyway. What our, was that Hebrew word for rose? Oh, Shoshana. Shosh, I'm going to type it in the chat. Shoshana. It's a beautiful, a beautiful word and a beautiful name. There, it's, a, it's, a, it's a name that some uh, girls, women are given. Shoshana, rose. Okay. That means rose? That means rose? Rose in Hebrew, mm -hmm. yeah. Now you have Yiddish, right? Razel means rose. Whatever. Rose is a name also. Okay, now let's do the Haftorah. We got equally exciting Haftorah action. Trust me, buckle up. I'm, I got to go through this quick because um, I have some airport runs. I got some family coming in, so I, I got to head out soon. Um, so I'm going to try to do this a little bit quickly. But let me explain what's going on. 
the Haftorah, it's a long one. It's a long one. It comes, but it should be, it's all narrative. So it's not like allegorical, like the last two weeks, it's been very like esoteric and poetic. This is like story time. The story is recorded in the book of Kings 2, second book of Kings, chapter 4. And it pertains to the prophet Elisha. Elisha was the successor of Elijah the prophet. Elijah, Elio Anavi, the guy that goes around to the Brit Milah and the Seder and the cup of wine for Elijah. Yeah, that Eli So his, his disciple and the one who continued his, uh, his prophet uh, succession was Elisha. Elisha was a fantastic, an incredible prophet in his own right, performed many miracles, and we're going to read about a few of them. What, the reason why this Haftorah is associated with our Torah portion is because of Elisha's blessing to the Shunammite woman to have a child. And similar to the blessing to Abraham's wife, Sarah, that she will have a child, and she does have a child. She has Isaac in this week's Torah portion. We read about Elisha's blessing to a woman to have a child as well. Here we go. But first, we begin with the prophet's wife. This was the story. Okay, you know what? Let me, let me stop sharing for a moment, and let me just give you a very quick background. It was in the times of the king Ahab, Achav, who was married to a queen named Izebel or Jezebel. It was out of control, the idolatry and the corruption that was going on. It was a Jewish king, not a Jewish wife. She was an idolatress. She convinced her husband to set up idols and, and altars everywhere. It was out of control. Elijah and Elisha, they were all fighting against it. Meanwhile, they got in their heads, the king and queen, to kill all the prophets, all the Jewish prophets. Because the prophets were saying, stop serving idols, and if you take away the mouthpiece, then, uh, right, then you're in the clear, they thought. So they killed so many prophets that lived at that time. One of the prophets they, they murdered was a prophet named Ovaja or Obadiah. The story, the opening story takes place with his widow, his wife, the prophet Ovadiah's wife. She's in debt and she needs help. Let's take a look. Now a woman of the wives of the disciples of the prophets, well, her husband was actually a prophet, she cries out to Elisha. So again, who is she? She is the wife, the widow, the widow of the prophet Ovaja or Obadiah in English. I'm going to say it in Hebrew because I'm used. Ovaja. Ovaja's wife, his widow, comes to Elisha, who's still alive, Elisha the prophet, saying, your servant, my husband, has died. And you know that your servant did fear the Lord. And now the creditor has come to take my, my two children for himself as slaves. The creditor means he owed a lot of money. And now they're coming and I don't have money. And now they're going to take the kids as slaves for the debt. That's what they used to do back in the day. I'm not justifying it. I'm saying horrifically that's what they used to do. Um, why was he in so much debt? Because he, Ovaja, the prophet Ovaja, would help hide other prophets. And he would provide them food and their needs in their, in their hiding spaces. So he, he ran into a lot of that. He was borrowing and, and, and facilitating this whole operation. He was caught and murdered. But meanwhile, now the creditors come back to the, to, the, to the widow and they demand money and they say, if not, we're going to take your kids. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. You say you don't have money, but what do you have in the house? You got to have something. She says, your maidservant has nothing at all in the house except one jug of oil. You think you know the Hanukkah story? Listen to this. Listen to this one jug of oil. And he said to her, borrow vessels from yourself. Sorry, borrow vessels for yourself from outside, from all your neighbors. Do not borrow only a few empty vessels. Keep on getting borrowing vessels. And you shall come and close the door about yourself and about your sons. In other words, close the door of your house. And you shall pour upon all these vessels 
and the full one you shall carry away. Let me tell you what he said. Collect vessels, jars, bowls, bottles, jugs, barrels, whatever you can find. Close all the doors and windows of your home and start pouring from the oil. Pour from the oil into all your jugs. And she went away from him and closed the doors about herself and about her sons. They were bringing vessels to her and she was pouring. And it was when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is no other vessel. And the oil stopped. Understand the story. The oil kept one jug of oil, kept on pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring miraculously, filling up all of the massive amounts of jugs, of, of vessels and jugs that she had borrowed. When they ran out of vessels, the oil stopped. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil now and pay your debt. You are now an oil saleswoman. Now you can sell all of that oil and now you got the money. And you and your sons will live with the remainder. You'll live, so you'll pay off the debt and you can live for many years with the profit off this oil. Apparently, there was a just tremendous amount of oil that miraculously emerged from that one jug. And it was that day that Elisha went. So that's one miracle story. That's the miracle, the opening miracle. Next, next story. Miracle number two. And it was that day, that same day that Elisha went as far as Shunem. And there was a prominent woman who prevailed upon him to eat a meal. She said, let me feed you. Let me give you some food. Come on in. And it was whenever he would pass, he would stop there to eat a meal. She always would feed him whenever he would travel. And she said to her husband, behold now, I, behold, now I know that he is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. She figured out he was a prophet. Now let us make a small walled upon chamber and place there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, and it will be that when he comes to us, he will turn into there. In other words, instead of just inviting him for a meal, let's create a room. Let's give him a room, a place to stay, because he's traveling back and forth. Elisha was doing all these missions, all these missions from Hashem, these the missions being a prophet, and she was helping him out. And it was one day that he went there that he turned into the upper chamber and lay down there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunamitis. Wow. <sighs> call this woman from, from the place that's hosting me. Call her to me. And he called her and she stood before him. And he said to her, please say to her, he said to him, please say to her, Behold, you have busied yourself on, on our account with all this trouble. What is there to do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the general of the army? In other words, you're help, you're, you're so hosp, you're, you're, you have such hospitality. What can we give you? And she said, I dwell in the midst of my people. In other words, I don't need anything. I'm a, I'm a regular person. I don't need any special favors. And he said, now what can we do for her? And Gehazi said, so, so she says, no, thank you. And she leaves. So Elisha turns to his assistant, his, who will travel with him, Gehazi, and he says to Gehazi, so what, what do you think? She has, she's not helping us, you know, with, uh, with what she wants, so what should we do? And Gehazi said, indeed, she has no son and her husband is old. Sounds familiar to Sarah, right? So she has no son, her husband is old. So now, okay, now he gets an idea what blessing he can give her. So he, says to, he said to Gehazi, summon her, and he summoned her, and she stood at the doorway. And he said to her, at this time next year, again, similar to the story of our Torah portion. At this time next year, when you will be alive like now, you will be embracing a son. He gives her a blessing that in one year's time, she will have a baby boy. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not fail your maidservant. Don't give me a promise. Don't, don't lift my hopes up. Please don't do this to me. 
Don't fail your maidservant. In other words, don't, don't, don't raise my expectations. I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. He assures her, no, it's a legitimate promise. It's a blessing. You're good. Indeed, the woman conceived and bore a son. At this time a year later, which Elisha had spoken to her. And the child grew up, and it was on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he was a little bit older, and he went out to the field, and he complained of a headache. And he said to the servant, the father, the father of this young boy, said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And he carried him, brought him to his mother, and he sat on her knees until noon, and he died. Listen to the story. The miracle son, the miracle son that Elisha blessed the Isha Shunamis, the Shunamite woman with. At a young age, he's a little boy. He gets sick one day, one morning. His mother's holding him and he dies in her arms. Listen to this story. This was the, the, the boy who she was blessed to have. Now he's not alive anymore. Immediately, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She put him on the bed of Elisha where Elisha would stay in that little apartment. Are you with me? What's going on with the story? She puts him on Elisha's bed and she closed the door and left. And she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the she donkeys and I will run up to the man of God and return. She doesn't tell her husband that her son, that their son died. She puts the son in the room, in Alicia's room, closes the door, tells her husband, I need an assistant and I need a donkey and I'm going to go to the prophet, to the man of God, and I'll be back. And he said, why are you going to him today? Why are you going to Alicia? It's neither the new moon, it's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Shabbat. And she said, Shalom, Vatomer Shalom. It's all right. It's all good. Shalom, peace. It's all good. Nothing to worry about. Don't be alarmed. I'm just going to have a schmooze. And you should know one thing. Why was she going to the prophet? To ask him to help revive her child. She knew that the child was born of a miracle. He could be reborn of a miracle. That was her faith. Her faith in God and in the prophet of God. At no point in time does she panic. At no point in time does she panic. She calmly puts her child down on the bed, tells her husband, please arrange a donkey and an assistant. I'll be back. All is good. Shalom. All is good. You should know that according to the Sephardi tradition, they stop the Haftorah right here. They stop it with that verse 23. You know why they say? Because the Sephardim have faith in a tzaddik. Amunas tzaddikim, they have strong faith in tzaddikim. At this point, you don't need to know the rest of the story. If she's going to Elisha for a blessing, you know how it ends. Yeah? You don't need to read it. You have faith? Then you could stop here. You, know, you can already imagine the end of the story. But Ashkenazim, all right. Chabad, you know, Chabad custom also, we read the rest of it to see how it plays out. So, in case you're wondering, here's how it plays out. So she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, drive and go forward. Don't keep back from riding because of me unless I tell you. Let's go. Yalla. And she went and came to the man of God, to Elisha, to Mount Carmel. And it was when the man of God saw from afar that he said to Gehazi's servant, here is that Shunammitis. Here's the woman. Why is she here? Now please turn toward her and say to her, are you well? Is your husband well? Is the child well? Right? Ask what's going on. Why is she here? And she said, we are well. 
She said to the assistant, we're, we're fine. Then she, came when she, then she came to the man of God to the mountain and she took hold of his feet. Gehazi approached to push her away. Now the man of God said, let her be, for her soul is bitter to her. And the Lord hid it from me and did not tell me. In other words, something's wrong, let her speak. And she said, listen to this. Did I ask for a son for my Lord? Did I not say do not mislead? I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. And I told you don't play around. Do not mislead me. Don't, don't dash my hopes now. This child cannot die. And he said to Gehazi, he said, the prophet said to his assistant, gird your loins and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. And you shall place my staff on the lad's face. And the lad's mother said, as the Lord lives and by your life, I will not leave you. And he rose and went after her. So he sent Gehazi and she said, I'm not leaving you. You're not leaving me. And Elisha goes with her. The prophet himself goes with her. And Gehazi went ahead of them and he placed the staff on the lad's face and there was no sound nor any attention. The child was dead. And he returned toward him and told him, saying, The lad has not awakened. And Elisha came into the house and behold, the lad was dead, laid out on his bed. And he came and closed the door about both of them. And he prayed to the Lord and he went up and lay on the child and placed his mouth on, the, on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his palms on his palms and he prostrated himself upon him and the child's flesh became warm and he returned and walked in the, the child returned and walked in the house from the apartment to the house once here and once there and he went up and prostrated himself upon him and the lad sneezed up to seven times and the lad oh I'm sorry maybe this was the prophet the prophet returned and walked to the house once here and once there. I think this was Elisha. And he went up and prostrated himself upon him again. And the lad sneezed up to seven times and the lad opened his eyes. And the prophet Elisha summoned Gehazi and he said, Call this Shunammites, call the woman. And he called her the mother and he called her. And she came to him and he said, You can pick up your son now. And she came and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And she picked up her son and departed. And this is the story of the miracle of the Isha Shunamis, the Shunammite woman. Elisha gives the blessing and Elisha brings the child back to life. And it's related to our Torah portion which talks about the blessing of a child. And it reminds us of the power of blessing and the power of tzaddikim and the power of Hashem. The power that nothing is impossible. So as we as we get ready for Shabbos, let us hold this story, beautiful story, in our hearts about never telling God that something is impossible. Never tell yourself that something is impossible. As long as God wishes, it can be and it will be. And please God, we should have only blessings. want to final, finish off with one more lesson. The first story about the, about the oil I want to explain to you what Kabbalah says about this. Sometimes we feel sapped of energy. Sometimes we feel uninspired. And we come to the prophet and we say we have nothing left in the house. And the creditors are coming. They're taking the kids. They're hijacking. The evil is hijacking my emotions. The two kids, Chesed and Gvura. I'm starting to love other things other than Hashem. I'm starting to, 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 be, to respect and to fear other things other than Hashem. I don't feel, I don't feel spiritually sensitive anymore. And he asked, what do you have in your house? Only a jug of oil. That's the, the, the core of the soul. The oil, the core of the soul that never, 
can be eliminated. And he says, and that's, if that's the case, take empty vessels and start pouring. And that means empty vessels, action, a mitzvah, even if it doesn't feel like anything. You're not inspired, so what should you do? Do a mitzvah. But I'm not inspired. Create the empty vessel. Create the vessel of the mitzvah. And as you do the mitzvah, the inspiration will come. As you start dancing with God, with the mitzvah, you will feel yourself become inspired. Never hold yourself back from doing a mitzvah until you feel that incredible inspiration. Start moving and you'll start feeling. So the final lesson for the Shabbos. When you're inspired, amazing. When you're not inspired, start acting. And you'll feel inspired. Fake it till you make it. Have a good Shabbos, everyone. I want to wish everybody a, a joyous Shabbos, a beautiful Shabbos full with light and love and happiness. May we all have an opportunity to celebrate together, whether in person or not in person, in body or in spirit. May we celebrate together this Bar Mitzvah and all of our simchas, all of our joyous occasions. And soon may we have the ultimate celebration with the coming of Mashiach when we'll have indeed the fulfillment of the type of miracle that we saw in the Haftorah, where those that have passed on will come back once again. The resurrection of the dead with the coming Mashiach. Speak in our days and let us say, Amen. Good Shabbos, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Amen. Special announcement. Are you doing in person on Monday? In person, yes. We should be back on Monday in person. No Kabbalah coffee Sunday. I'll send out an email. I can't do Sunday. We got family and mishpacha here. But, so it's two weeks in a row, I'm not happy about that, but nonetheless, we'll be back Monday, DPP in person, and Monday night, Hot Topics, and Tuesday night is the new court, the JLI course, anti-Semitism. If you're signed up, maybe you already got your book. They already went out days ago, so you might have already received it. If not, it's coming the next day or two. Um, I want to wish everybody, again, a good Shabbos, and we'll see you guys. Rabbi, I, I registered I registered with the triple pack. Yeah, Donna, you're good. Yeah, yeah, triple packs are good. Yeah, you got. We sent out your book. I could track it, but it's it was already shipped out a few days ago. Yeah, you're good. All triple packs. Everything went out. Yeah. Excellent. So Rosh Chodesh, is it going to be um, in person as well? Yes, Rosh Chodesh in person. Yes, Rosh Chodesh in person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to run. I got some airport drives to take care of. Donna, Ray, Sandrine, Sarah, Olia. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys. Good Shabbos.